and welcome back to another episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, uh, I am one of the hosts of this extravaganza. Hello, everybody. I'm Russ, K5TUX, the other co-host of the magnificent extravaganza we call Linux in the Ham Shack. Now, y'all might think we think a lot of ourselves, but you know what? If we don't, nobody else will. Okay, it's been a busy, busy uh, couple weeks for... Uh, for the folks here at Linux in Ham Shack, unfortunately, it has not been exactly amateur radio related or Linux related, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, the last episode went kind of long, so we're going to try and not put y'all to sleep this time. Let's go ahead and start out with, uh, with some of the feedback. Ah, this one's from KE7BUB, and... Uh, K7BUB sent me an email about uh, a program we t- spoke last time about burning ISOs or disk images disk to uh, check out some of these Linux distributions. And he came up with a good, pretty good idea. Uh, he writes, Richard, great show. I am a new ham, got my tech ticket in the uh, end of 04, my general four weeks ago, and my extra last week. Well, congratulations, Jim. I've... Uh, Let's see, I've messed the uh, messed with Linux on and off for about four years and love your podcast. I just have to say thanks. Just thought I'd pass along info on a free ISO burner that might be helpful to your listeners that don't have a program to burn ISOs. The program is Deep Burner. It's free, and you can get it on download.com. Well, I wrote uh, Jim a response, a reply email on that, and uh, asked him to make sure what platform it was. And his response was, Richard, that program uh, Deep Burner is Windows-based and free. I thought I, it would be a good, it would be good for someone getting in, getting into Linux to be able to burn their distro. Here's the link to their site. The link didn't show because I don't have a color cartridge, but I can tell you that it's www.deepburner.com. I've checked out Deep Burner in the past, and um, that is one that I did fail to mention in the last episode. Nero and whatever I said, Magic ISO, I think were the ones that I brought up last week. And uh, Magic ISO, I believe, is free. Um, Deep Burner has a pro version, which of course costs money. Um, you know, has the additional features and stuff. It also has that free version. Uh, looks like it's version 1.9 right now. Free for download at deepburner.com. So, so you can go and pick out your favorite distribution, download the ISO, and use Deep Burner to burn it. Any of the Windows versions, there's a tool of some sort. And even in the Linux and on the Apple side, if you guys are coming over from uh, my, the Macs, you know, there's going to be some tool for burning a disk image. And if you can't find one on your system, I, there's plenty of free ones out there. Uh, I remember first time I burned a disk image that, uh, it was a command line program. What was it called? Raw Ride, I think it was called. And, uh, it worked just fine for me. Well, let's, uh, let's see what else we got here. Okay, uh, let's move on to this one. And I've, first and foremost, I want to make a po- an apology to Damon. November, November 7B. Damon, your email got lost in the pile. It's been, uh, uh, really crazy here. And, uh, I appreciate you hanging in there. Damon writes, I must say, you are my ham radio hero. 
I love your podcast and have listened to them several times over. I've been waiting for a new Linux and Hamshack podcast and went to download the first episode on Black Sparrow Media website, and I was downloading the MP3 file. For some reason, it would download about a fir- the first meg, then say that it was done. It would play about one meg worth of podcast, then quit. So it seems that it is the MP3 file of episode one from Black Sparrow Media website. By the way, I've been on uh, HF recently and heard some folks in Texas. I was listening for you, but no Richard. Thank you for all of your inspiration. You've been very helpful. Oh, I just elmered my first person, my brother-in-law, through to take his technician test this Tuesday. I also told him that if the if he studied hard, I'd pay for him to take the test. So I'm crossing my fingers. Well, alrighty. Uh, Damon, like I said, I apologize. It kind of got buried in the pile over here. Uh, we have multiple accounts coming in over this direction. But let me go ahead and tell you that uh, I've checked the MP3 file myself. Uh, there is not a problem with it. Uh, unlike most podcasts, uh, I listen to every episode once it comes out. I download it, not only do a... Uh, I download it through iTunes. I also download it using a uh, program in Linux so that I have an archived copy of all the shows, and I do listen to all of them on my iPod. What I will tell you is that from time to time, the uh, service that Black Sparrow Media is using, uh, you will get an occasional hiccup during a download. Uh, my suggestion is wipe it off of your system and attempt to download it again. If that doesn't work for you, get in touch with me by email, and we'll make arrangements to uh, get a copy to you one way or another. I want you all to write Russ some email. Y'all tell him he's the hero because he's the one that keeps me from sounding stupid. Okay, so y'all write Russ some email. Well, to be fair, there was a problem with my email since the last episode. I think we've finally got that taken care of. So if people send me an email, I'll probably actually get it right now. We tested it, and it's working. So, uh, yeah, y'all send Russ email. Send it, uh, fill his box up. Lots of email. I want to see a campaign of all you people listening to, within the sound of my voice, all of you, write Russ email. Fill his email box up at k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. That's k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. Fill up that email box. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to thank you for that. but <laughs> <laughs> Let me bring up the one that um, was a response to the, the posting of Linux in the Hamshack, um, episode number two, from uh, Thoth, I guess it's pronounced, T-H-O-T-H. I'm going to assume he's a ham radio operator, even though there's no indication of a call sign. But um, he does have a link to his blog, which I will post on the Linux in the Hamshack site so everybody can get to it if they want. And his comment was, love the show, guys. How about posting links and some show notes? Just wishing I had some easy links. Otherwise, awesome job. Well, I had to say I was kind of surprised to see this message because there is a link to the show notes, and there are show notes for each of the shows that we've done so far, all two of them. That was one of the things I saw early on when I was listening to other ham radio podcasts was 
that people really wanted to have show notes and some information that they could easily access the information in the show, especially links to URLs and downloads. And and I also posted um, information about the music that we have. If you go to the Linux in the Hamshack website, go up to the header and look uh, on the far right, there is a link. It says show notes. And there is a post. There will be at least a post for every show, and it will have a number corresponding with the podcast episode. And it will have all of the show notes that we can think of printing um, related to each podcast. And um, there may be some intermediate ones if we think of other things that might be useful for people to know that don't sort of fit anywhere else on the site. I do appreciate, uh, well, we, we both appreciate the um, the compliment, and I think our listenership is growing, and I'm really happy to see that, and I'm always glad to see the feedback, and I hope that the show notes that we post will uh, help you out and give you the easy access to information that you're looking for. Let me tell you, Russ does the uh, show notes for the uh for the website over there. In fact, the uh, actual website, the uh, actual Linux in the Ham Shack website, is Russ's baby. And y'all don't want me doing the show notes because those of y'all that listen to Resident Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, y'all know I am not great on show notes. Sometimes it's a sentence and sometimes it's a book. But I tell you what, all the information's there. Y'all dig around a little bit and shouldn't shouldn't have any problem finding it. That's something else. Y'all can fill Russ's email box up with how pretty the website is. So y'all don't forget that. Fill up Russ's mailbox. Okay. Where are we where are we now? Okay. We're gonna jump in the forums for a minute. We did get uh looks like one uh one piece of feedback in the forums. Uh, great episode, though you committed to in episode one to focus on Debian. Happy, happy to see you mention the ham specific Linux builds that exist out there, even though, even if they are not currently supported. A back burner project of mine for a year has been to take Digipup and Harv's, Harv's builds, Harv's Hamshack hack builds, into an updated Linux distribution that can easily be maintained. Just has not been a priority, but your podcast may inspire me to get back to it. For what it's worth, besides Digipup, I've run FL Digi on damn small Linux, on a ThinkPad 600, on as little as 160 megs of RAM. In fact... I ran that way this past field day, running QRP into a flagpole. Previous, I ran DigiPan on a ThinkPad 760ED with Windows 98 and 128 megs of RAM. Keep up the good work, and that's from Joe, NE2Z, November Echo 2 Zulu. And Joe, thank you. The reason for the Debian-based distributions and there's a lot of them out there. And for those of y'all who don't know, there's four or five distributions that have been around forever. And just about everything is based on those four or five distributions. There's some out there that are brand new, but the majority of them uh, are based on Debian, Slackware, Red Hat, Mandrake, SUSE, even Ubuntu is uh, based on Debian. 
the main reason we're sticking with the uh, Debian-based ones is because this particular podcast is about getting an amateur radio operator up and running. And since they have that in the uh, repositories, and we're going to talk about repositories in a little bit, but since they have those, some of those programs in the repositories already, it's going to make it a whole lot easier for the ham radio operator to get up to speed if they're coming from Windows or possibly Mac. So that's uh, the reason for that. And while I'm thinking about it, Russ, that brings something else to mind. Uh-huh. Another post in the forum, and I don't want to get into reading every single post in the forum, but one did strike me over in the general discussion area. It uh, had to do with... Uh, one of the folks decided to download PC Linux OS and y'all go out there and download, you guys, y'all go out there and download whatever you want to download, find a distribution that works for you and stick with it. Um, what we're doing here is just generally guidelines to uh, get everybody up and running. As far as PC Linux OS, it uh, is Mandra- Mandrake or Mandriva uh, based and it's awful pretty. It's very pretty. Being someone whose very first Linux distribution was Mandrake, I'm kind of partial to that also. However, I fell in love with Debian. Y'all know how I am. I'm not going to start preaching. Well, I would just say that for those who are a little more adventurous, there's no problem with downloading Red Hat or Xandros or Mandriva or something else along those lines. For for the people who want to be able to sort of follow along with the program and type in the keystrokes that we tell you to type in, you're going to want a Debian distribution like Ubuntu or Debian or Linux Mint, something based on Debian. But if you know how to translate those commands into the your distribution of choice, feel free to use Nopix, Red Hat, Fedora, whatever you really like. It, it doesn't matter. Pretty much all the same under the hood. And we'll all get to the same place at the end of this. And the thing about it is, he, Russ is right. It, it's all pretty much the same under the hood. And, you know, we're going to help you all along anyway. We're not going to be completely Debian-centric. You know, this is Linux in the ham shack, not Debian in the ham shack. So uh, we will talk about a few things that uh, have to do other than just with the Debian distributions. Okay, before we move on to the next segment, um, I thought I'd uh, take a minute. We might take a minute and... Uh, Talk about the website. Tell us about, you've been making a couple of improvements to the website, Russ. Can you tell us about them? I haven't had all that much time to update the website, but I have tried to make um, a few improvements and try and keep things sort of moving along as as we get through the episodes and I think of more things to that people might be interested in knowing. Um, one of the things I've added is the blog roll. It came up, I think, in the second episode where we said we were going to uh, mention everybody's blogs who sent us feedback or another uh, emails or in other ways got in contact with us. And I've done that as as much as I've uh, received so far in the way of blogs that people have uh, said that they're the authors of. So if there's if you've sent me feedback or if you sent us feedback and you don't show up in that list, please let us know and we'll, I'll add you. And we definitely want to make sure that everybody gets all the publicity they want. And I know we're looking for as much as we can get. And the latest thing I added was the the live feed. Thanks to Ustream.tv, we can post the audio of the recording of this podcast. 
So if you want to listen to the raw feed, no post-production, hear us, you know, swear at each other and yell back and forth and all of the things that you don't get to hear in the final episode, there's also a chat room associated with it. So if you want to listen to the podcast and actually give us feedback um, right live as we're recording, you can do that as well. It's just an audio podcast, so you're not going to see us, but you will hear us. Of course, we hope that if you join in and participate in the live recording that you'll also wait for the post-production and download and listen to the finished product when it comes out. You know, I would, I would, I myself would never cuss Russ because he's a great big mean guy and I'm a little bitty scrawny guy and I'm afraid he would hurt me. But y'all know me, I'm an angel. I never do anything wrong. And the fact of the matter is y'all going to download the uh, podcast anyway because you need to be able to go back and listen to the information in it. So it's all good. But I will let you know that uh, for those of you who are podcasters that uh, have something that's Linux related or, uh, uh, ham radio related. Uh, I've started banner exchange over at the main Black Sparrow Media site. If y'all want to send me a banner from your podcast, I will send you one of ours and we'll get you posted in the banner rotation. Life will be good. As far as the blog roll, uh, I'm working on getting that going over there also. But we're not going to talk about that because this is Linux in the Ham Shack, not the Black Sparrow Media Show. Okay, let me see. I had something else I wanted to discuss before we went on to the next segment, and I can't remember what it was. Y'all know, y'all out there that have been listening to me know I'm that way. All righty, this time around, we want to go ahead and uh, continue on with the uh, progression that we were looking to move through. We've actually rolled uh, a couple of episodes in together the last time around, so we're actually a show ahead of where we normally would be, and we want to go ahead and talk about the repositories and some, uh, some of the ways to get software for your distribution. Now, like we said, uh, we'll be focusing on the Debian-based distribution, but that doesn't mean we won't be talking about other things also. In your opinion, where would be some of the best places to find amateur radio software once you move over to the Linux operating system. For Debian-based distributions, of course, we've been pushing this since episode one. Um, they're easiest to find right in the distribution repositories. You don't even have to go looking for them. When you download and install your Debian-based distribution, all the ham radio software is already there. It isn't necessarily pre-installed by default, um, Debian tends to be a little minimalist when it comes to installing things. Some of the newer installers allow you to pick and choose the things you want to install. But unless you drill down into some of the depths of the repositories, you're not going to get the ham radio-based software installed. Typically, what you'll install first is things like the X-Window system, your basic system files that allow you to manage your computer and so forth. And then you use the tools, once your computer is up and running with Linux, to um, install things like FLDigi, KachinaCat, and basically all of the other things. Also, the other way to get software is to go out on the web, because as with the Windows operating system and some of the Apple stuff, uh, there are different websites where uh, different software can be found. Uh, one of the really big resources, I guess, would be SourceForge has uh, 
quite a few things over there, projects that are ongoing that uh, is amateur radio related. And then you have websites like uh, the old fellow that does Digipup. Uh, I can't remember his call right now. It eludes me, Russ. But uh, you have Digi- his website, and then Harv had a, I think you can still get the Hamshack hack, hack off of Harv's website or possibly SourceForge. So just like any other, any software for any other operating system, there is software available out there on the web also. One thing that makes um, Linux or installing something under Linux and specifically Debian a lot like installing something under Windows, for example, is usually um, if you want to install something under Windows, you get you download like an .exe file or an .msi file, which is an installer. You click on the installer, and away it goes. Some people uh, are nice enough to package their software in the form of a Debian installer package, which has a DEB extension. So if you can go to if you, if you go to a website where they have a piece of software that you can download in .deb format, then you can use the Debian-based package installer to install it just like you would an .exe or an .msi file. Makes it very easy. That's the way things are packaged in the repositories, and the tools uh, that come with the Linux distribution make it very easy to then install the software using it. You guys that are running like Red Hat or Mandriver or something, y'all listen up too. Uh, there are the most, two most common package formats out there are DEB, which is for the Debian based, uh, and RPM. Now, the RPMs are uh, primarily the stuff that comes out of Red Hat, like Fedora, CentOS, that kind of stuff. However, I believe, uh, Mandriva or Mandrake used to also use RPM packages. And I believe that SUSE, well, when it was SUSE, now it's open SUSE, but when it was SUSE and I was using it, there was also a tool for RPM packages in YAST. A lot of this stuff you can find packaged out there. Those are the two most common, uh, from place to place. Some of the minor package formats can be uh, picked up off of these websites, but uh, two most prominent, and that's one of the reasons we want to stick with one of the uh, better known distributions. The two most common are going to be DEB and RPM. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the different package managers in uh, Ubuntu and Debian, and I'll explain Ubuntu in a little bit. Um, the great thing about the Debian-based operating, the Debian-based distributions, is the fact that there's a handful of ways to download software. Now, you're probably more familiar with Apt than I am, uh, Russ. You want to tell us a little bit about Apt? Okay. Apt is the, it's actually an application that Debian-based distributions use to manage packages. There are actually several scripts and commands associated with the Apt command. For example, if you wanted to download a package from a repository and you happen to know what the name of that package is, you would uh, use the apt-get command, and that is how you would pull that package down from your repository and install it. The apt-get command does allow or does everything for you. Basically, um, I guess um, we should probably get into what the what the package manager actually does. 
Well, um, if you apt-get a file without any options, it will download the file from the repository. It will extract it and uncompress it if it's compressed. It will do the installation, which basically, since everything is already pre-compiled, just involves moving the files from the package to the place where they should reside on your file system. One of the things that the package managers do that is the most important and is sort of the hallmark of all package managers, whether it be apt or RPM or YAST or YUM or whatever one you can name, is that they do dependency checking. In other words, if your package that you want to install depends on other packages being installed or other packages not being installed, it goes out to the system, checks all of those dependencies, and makes sure that you download the things you need. And in most cases, it will do all of that stuff automatically, and you don't even have to worry about it. You just app-get the package you want to install, and it does the rest. Yeah, and I know that sounds like a, a pretty scary mouthful, but the fact of the matter is when you break it down, uh, well, even I can understand it. And y'all know I'm just a dumb old radio operator. But uh, one of the things I did want, want to say is uh, about dependencies, that's probably one of the things that scared me most when we first got started with this was that, uh, you know, it would check for dependencies and then it would download those particular files. Well, the files it's normally downloading are libraries. And for you Windows u- users, uh, you know, when you, uh, install a piece of software, a lot of times you'll have the main pro- program and then you'll have some, uh, files that have a DLL extension on them. I think it's a dynamic link library. Well, it's, that's the same thing. But instead of, uh, it being part of the software you're installing, uh, the package manager will go ahead and see that there'll be a list somewhere in the, in the, uh, download where it'll go look for those libraries and it'll download those also and install them in the proper place. That's all it really uh, boils down to. Now, apt is kind of the hardest way. But since we're talking about package managers, let's run over a couple of others real quick. Uh, the reason I asked Russ to do apt is I use apt, but I don't use it extensively. Aptitude, which is also uh, a package manager, uh, it looks a lot like an old DOS program. I never ma- actually mastered Aptitude, which is the old kind of graphical front end. It looks a lot like an old DOS program. But y'all are likely not to really use Aptitude very much. Uh, now, in Ubuntu and some of the others, you're going to find that they have something called the Package Manager. As far as Ubuntu is concerned, the only name I know for it is uh, Ubuntu Package Manager. I'm sure it has another name. Synaptic is the one I've been using since I moved over to Debian, uh, Debian-based distributions. As Synaptic, you go in and uh, you click on uh, one of the tools up in the, in the uh, bar at the top, and there's a place for you to check different repositories. The amateur radio software is not going to show up uh, right off the bat. You're going to have to go in there and activate the universe repository which I know when we get there, when we install our first piece of software, we'll take a little more time with this. But uh, you'll have to check that 
and then reload the reload the synaptic, and then you'll be able to take advantage of that, those pieces of software that are in the repository. Let me just add that I'm currently looking at the synaptic package manager for under Debian, uh, Debian unstable in this particular instance. When I loaded up synaptic, um, the amateur radio stuff was already there, and when, if I clicked on it on the left as a general category, then it narrows my search field on the right to only amateur radio software. And there are several things in there that it brought up, things like uh, the AX25 software, um, call Git, FLDigi, GPSK31. Um, let's see, there's a Morse code practice thing. There's um, some slow scan TV applications. And the great thing about Synaptic is all you have to do is click on a checkbox by any of these applications, click on Apply, and it will be installed for you. And the happy thing about Linux is that unlike Windows, you're not going to have to go through a reboot cycle. In which, in the case of Linux, it wouldn't take near as long, but you don't have to do it. In fact, the only time I think I've ever had to reboot after installing something was when I received a kernel uh, download. Uh, you you hit exit on Synaptic, go out to use that program, and it's there. So, and all you gotta do is click on it, and it's ready to run. Okay, I wanted to talk about some other software, also other types of software also. I want to make sure that we get uh, a good idea of what's... Well, we talked about the distributions in the last episode that have pre-installed software. The only way you're really going to find pre-installed amateur radio software is by going out and downloading one of the live CDs. And we talked about them in the last episode, like Harv's Ham Shack Hack, Digipup, uh, there's a couple more out there like the Debian Expedition disk. I believe that's a live CD, and I think that's a currently active project. And PSK Live, which PSK Live, I don't remember what it's built on top of as far as the distribution, but it's uh, one of the ones that uh, they're moving towards with the, uh, the uh, what is it, M- EM, NBS, MCOM kind of thing. Uh, y'all check into it. Now, as far as other things, there's also interpreted language software, the software that's written on an interpreted language. And when we talk about an interpreted language, uh, for those of y'all that have been around a while, uh, the first interpreted language I remember ever using was BASIC. And the reason it's considered an interpreted language is... Uh, the actual programming of the thing is in a language that a human can understand. There's an interpreter that sits back in the background and takes the information that you have put into this file or whatever, translates it to something that the machine can understand, and use it. The best example that I've found in Linux of a software running under an interpreted language is a program called DRATS, which is actually a uh, digital terminal program for uh, D star data. Now, that was a lot of D's, wasn't it? And uh, most of you should have at least heard of D star by now. And there's a way to send digital data on a voice channel using uh, low speed data, data, and even on the ID one, which is 1.2 gig radio, to send high speed data up to 128k. But DRATS 
is written in Python, which Python is an interpreted uh, language. Uh, it's pretty human readable. In fact, I've looked at the files and uh, the actual files, and uh, I could actually work with them a little bit if I needed to. But that's an example of an inter- interpreted language. Uh, Python, um, Basic, and several others. So since Python is so easy to program in, it may very well happen there will be more and more amateur radio software come online in Python. And one of the advantages of these interpreted language programs is that they can be cross-platform. And once you go out and find them, download them, chances are uh, all the dependencies, as we were talking about earlier, for Python will probably be included in the package that you download the program in because it's more like downloading Windows software. Well, one one thing that's nice about interpreted languages is that they are easier to program in, generally speaking. And in the case of Python specifically, it's both interpreted and can be compiled. The benefit there being that when you compile something, it generally runs faster because it's turned into what's called bytecode, which is something that the computers can read, understand, and process faster because it's actually what they're what their operating system runs in. One might consider the difference between something that's interpreted and compiled is getting smaller and smaller all the time, um, which is why interpreted languages are becoming more popular again because the faster computers get, the faster they can interpret those languages, which is making Python extremely popular. So I suspect that more and more programs for amateur radio will be coded in things like Python because it is easier, um, easier to read, easier to understand, easier to make changes, which goes back to the whole theory of open source. You can actually see how it was written. And if you don't like something about DRATS and you really want to get really, you know, very advanced, you can make changes to it, make it do what you want. And see, that's a great thing. In fact, uh, there's a good tutorial out there on Python. I've been working my way through that uh, it's, ri- it's written uh, like, the kind of uh, help files you're going to find while you're running Linux. HTML files linked together. Down at the bottom of the page, there's a forward-back button. Really cool. I've learned a lot with it and hope to hope to finish that up and move, move up. Act, the reason I'm studying up on Python so I can make some make a few changes in DRATS, try and help the fella out. The website for DRATS is DRATS.DanPlanet. One word, D-A-N-P-L-A-N-E-T dot com. And uh, if y'all are interested in D-Star, looking for a terminal program, y'all go over and uh, go over and see Dan over at Dan at uh, D-Rats, D-Rats dot DanPlanet dot com. Check that out. Okay. So last but not least, we're getting into an area that I haven't done a lot. And, uh, I know that Russ is amply qualified to talk about this. What I will preface it with is the fact that this is a part of the podcast where we're talking about every distribution, and that is programs that you compile from source. That probably sounds a lot more intimidating than it actually is, and for you new guys, we probably want to stick with the repositories. But for those that have been running uh, Linux and have some experience with that, in a little background, you know that 
if you go out and compile a piece of software, download the source code, compile it on your system, it doesn't matter if it's Debian, Red Hat, whatever, uh, it makes that piece of software better suited to run on your system. So I'm going to turn it over to Russ for this because, like I said, I haven't done a lot of it. And because I haven't done a lot of it, I'm not real successful with it. So take it away, Russ. Well, one thing I will start out by saying is that going back to what I mentioned a little bit earlier about the fact that computers are becoming faster and faster means that the performance increase you get from compiling a piece of software as opposed to running it in its already compiled form is getting smaller and smaller. Now, I can probably go on for a long time about a distribution that we haven't actually mentioned yet in our three episodes to this point called Gentoo. The thing about Gentoo, and I promise I won't spend a lot of time on this, but Gentoo is a distribution for people who like to compile everything because they want the most performance they can possibly get out of a distribution on their particular piece of hardware. It has its own package manager, and its package manager actually allows you to, um, in fact, I think by default, um, has to compile everything that it downloads. It doesn't compile pre-compiled binaries. It, compi- it downloads source code and builds everything. In fact, for the person who's extremely hardcore, you can actually compile Gentoo itself during the install process. To me, that's going a little extreme, and all the people out there who run Debian are probably screaming at me right now. (laughs) I'm sorry, all the people who are running Gentoo are probably screaming at me right now. Um, But I don't apologize for the fact that I I think that's just going a little overboard myself. There are a few things that I like to compile just because I like to make sure they're built for my system, but for the most part, the average user doesn't need to go to that extreme if you really want a fun, you know, if you really want a ride like a roller coaster at an amusement park, try de- try uh, you know, compiling a copy of Gentoo. But that being said, compiling software these days is actually getting easier. Um there are lots of tools and scripts to help build so- uh software from source that make it a lot easier than having to know C and having to Link libraries into a, a package with C, you know, with C scripts and turn something that's basically just a bunch of raw text files in C code into something you can actually use. In fact, Debian and I assume Ubuntu, Kubuntu, and Linux Mint and things along those lines as well have a package that's not actually a package. It's what's called a meta package. And the idea behind meta packages is you install the meta package and it installs a bunch of other packages which are all related in some way. And the one I'm referring to is a package, a meta package called build-essential. If you go into Synaptic or you use Aptitude or even app-get and install build dash essential, what it will do is install a bunch of tools onto your system to help you compile software from source. And it will install things like the make command, 
um, a bunch of um, library linking tools, and so on and so forth. Basically, the basic commands and the basic libraries and the basic scripting you need to build most packages from source. Not everything, because some things use special building tools, things like Bison and Yak and, oh, what else, LibTool, and a lot of things that probably no one listening to this has any idea what they are and wouldn't know them if they got run over by them. <clears throat> you know, basically, Build Dash Essential gives you the tools you need to build something from source. And in fact, the repositories, like Debian's repositories, will allow you to download things already compiled in .deb format so that they are built for your basic architecture and will install and run. But they won't be finely tuned. But what you can do is you can actually use, you can use the apt-get source command instead of apt-get install to download and build a package from the source code straight from the repository. One nice thing about that is you don't have to worry about how it's built. The apt source command or the apt-get source command will build it for you. The reason I wanted to get compiled from source into this particular episode for y'all is because when you're in the repositories, the software that you find in the repositories is going to be what was current, what has made it through the system for your particular distribution and they consider stable. Now, stable, you folks that run Windows, uh, probably don't understand what stable is because I've never seen a copy of Windows that was. What that means is that they are confident that it will fire up and run on your system on the distribution that uh, you're using without major problems or bugs. What you will find when you go, like take FL Digi for instance. Uh, I'm currently running a copy of FL Digi among some other software over here uh, so that I can prepare for a future episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. And the version I was running was the version out of the repository, which is probably six or eight subversion numbers away from what is the most current one on the FLDG website. So I procured that one, brought it down to my machine. Uh, I don't remember having to compile it, but I probably did. But now I have the most current version, and as you move along and get more comfortable, you're probably want to gonna probably gonna want to have newer, uh, more current versions, and that's when you'll start getting into compiling from source. But until then, we're gonna move through uh, the repository the uh, repository method. That way, y'all be able to get comfortable with it and uh, have some success getting your actual computer up on the air and then you can go back you know it, it's my philosophy get it working make it pretty later so uh we pretty much covered all that all the uh types of software and ways to get software for your uh, particular distribution russ do you have any more uh comments well i just wanted to say for um future episodes if uh, somebody is downloading and installing Debian distributions, and I think from some of the feedback we've gotten, we know that this is happening already, and that's great, that if you plan on installing something from source in the future, 
that you use Synaptic or the package manager that comes with your distribution and install a couple of specific things. One would be module-assistant. One would be deb helper, which is all one word, deb helper. And the other um, that I've already mentioned, build-essential. Just install those things, have them on your system, um, so that in future episodes, if you know, when we get down to discussing how to actually install something from source code, you'll have those things already installed and you'll be ready to go. We've gone through some really long and dry stuff, and I apologize to y'all for that. But we're trying to set up a good foundation for you guys that are coming over. You're, you're tired of messing with Windows. You're tired of having to register uh, a, a copy for every single machine you use. I mean, I've got a copy XP Pro over here that I do run on one machine for a project that I no longer do. And I know that it's a total pain. But, you know, we're bringing this show to you ham radio operators. So you can use uh, less expensive equipment, you can get better performance, and you have the freedom to make a choice. So with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a minute. All alone by the table of food in my wrinkled suit and my borrowed tie, only thinking of something to say in the moment Everyone else is having fun or else pretending to I eat another fruity taste I quit, I'm done Cause I don't think it's gonna turn out okay No fair, it's no fun Every time it's gonna end the same way
that's pretty much it for this time around. Uh, Russ, can you think of anything else before we decide to close down this particular episode of this fantastic extravaganza for the ears? I've looked over the things that we wanted to talk about on this episode, and I think we've actually nailed every topic that we had. I don't see a lot of places we can fill in. I'm sure we've forgotten something, but I think, and I certainly hope, that we can rely on feedback to help us fill in those gaps so that when we come around to recording Episode 4, we can catch all of the things that we managed to miss. And there you go. we got so many ways y'all can send us feedback. So y'all listen up, write it down, check it out on the website. And there are so many ways to get hold of us. I want y'all to make sure that y'all fill Russ's email box up. But until then, y'all come over to the Linux in the Ham Shack website. You leave some comments about the show. Check out the show notes. There should be some links there. At some point in the future, I can see we're going to have to do some tutorials. Y'all make sure y'all go over to blacksparrowmedia.com stroke LHS for Linux in the Ham Shack. And if you want to contact me directly, you send me an email at kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com, kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com, or visit the blacksparrowmedia.com website where we have a, a feedback forum for Linux and Hamshack and leave us some information there. If you want to send me an email, you can send it to k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. And I will get that. And, of course, you're more than welcome to post information to the BlackSparrowMedia.com forums or as comments to posts on BlackSparrowMedia.com slash LHS, which is where Linux in the Hamshack resides. And Richard and I both read those uh, pretty much as soon as they get posted because we don't have lives and we like to sit and watch the Internet as often as possible. And you'll probably get immediate feedback to your feedback. They took away my tubes and my radio, so I have to watch the monitor glow in the dark. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do it. These doggone transistors are so little, I can't see them glowing. But that's it. Yeah, we watch it all the time. And if you are feeling really, really desperate, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter. That's KB5JBV. Go over Twitter.com, KB5JBV. And Russ, uh, Russ is... Twitter.com slash J.R. Woodman. Is that right? Yep, J.R. Woodman, W-O-O-D-M-A-N, just like it sounds. And sooner or later, he's going to get proud of that call sign and not be so proud of that name, and he'll be K5TUX over at Twitter.com. But until then... (laughs) I don't know about that. I've got uh, too many different uh, things going on in my life to... Settle just on amateur radio, so that's why I kind of went with my name. It sort of covers everything. Well, see, there you go. I have no life. Ham radio is my life. I mean, I am the, let's see, my my secretary when I was president of the Ham Association over here said that I was king of the uh, porcine radio operators. So I don't know if that was a slam or, or uh, anyway. With that, we've gone through some dry stuff. Y'all check in with us next time. We promise, we promise, we're going to get to operating some radios pretty soon. So with that, I'm Richard, KB5JBB. And I'm Russ, K5TUX. And we'll see you guys next time.